to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Aaron. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Hey, guess what, guys? Hmm? What? <laughs> Can we just take like a half a second and celebrate because we're all in one place? Yeah! 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 That was more than half a second, uh, but I feel like we need to do another half second. Do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, all four of us are actually in studio today because we have okay. an in-person LWML <laughs> event tomorrow, Yes, which is why we are all in studio today. Rachel flew out to be with us. So. Such a treat. I'm so happy. We're so excited. And I'm so tired. <laughs> what time so did you wake up this morning? 3.30. Uh, <laughs> worth it? Worth it. There I mean, totally. it was 2.30 Central, so... Yeah. Count your blessings. Sis. There you go. Yes. So for this episode and the next two episodes, we will all be in studio together, which is so exciting. So today is story time with Sarah Day, which I am excited about. This is a very Reformation-y episode since it is October Reformation Month. It's appropriate. Very appropriate. Yes. And I get to share the story of Elizabeth Krusiger with you, who... You probably don't know who she is. We don't know a lot about her life, and there's just not a lot um, about her. She wrote a hymn, a hymn in our hymnal, which you probably know. I'm sure you know the hymn. So you mean this episode <laughs> is one where your story time and your hymn nerd I know. Hymns come together on Reformation Day to tell about a woman who is your typical Lutheran lady about which nothing is known, because she probably didn't put herself out there. And yep. Also, mm-hmm. this is like, you know, 16th century females. So just, you know, not doing much that made the history books, mm-hmm. even though they were really doing a lot of stuff. It's true. Well, and let's put this in perspective, that for every Martin Luther or Philip Melanchthon, there were many, many men, along with women, who built the Reformation mm-hmm. movement, and yet we don't know their names That's or their true. stories yep. either. The mere fact that we have a few people besides the big guys trickling mm-hmm. down to us <laughs> through history <laughs> is a treasure. Yes. So, Elizabeth Krusiger was a German writer and the first female poet and hymn writer of the Protestant Reformation, and she happened to be a friend of Martin Luther. So, <laughs> she is the author of Lutheran service book, 402, the first three stanzas, and I'll tell you more about that later, which is The Only Son from Heaven, a beautiful Mm, epiphany mm -hmm. hymn. Her story is extra interesting because we just, we don't know a lot about her. I read, I don't know, seven or eight or nine or ten sources for this episode, and they all kind of say the same little outline of her life because we Mm. just don't know a lot. We usually just hear about her as the wife of Caspar Krusiger, who was one of Luther's fellow reformers. She's just, she's another amazing woman who gets lost to history because culture just said there was no way that a woman could be smart enough or theologically astute enough to be part of the Reformation and write such deep poetry. But alas, here we are. Here we are, guys. Elizabeth von Meseritz was born around 1500. We don't know her exact birth year in Meseritz, Eastern Pomerania, which is now a part of Poland. Hold on. Pomerania? Yes. It's an actual place. It's an no, actual- I know, because here's why. <laughs> okay. Is my father-in-law, God rest his soul, 
says that that's where his family is from, and everyone laughs, laughs at him. Are you related to her? Like that's a dog. Stupid. And it's like no, it's an actual yeah. place. Yeah. Put some respect on it. Thank you. <laughs> so I probably I I might be related, but definitely not by blood, because it's mm. it's an in law. It counts. Husband, it. My husband's father. Yeah. Yeah. You married into a Pomeranian family. Yes. That is amazing. Mm. I know. Sorry, I got really excited because I almost had my doubts myself until I read that. No, yes. It is a real place. A real place. Mm. So, Meseritz is about 115 miles due east of Berlin, if that gives you a little bit better idea of where we're talking about, geographically speaking, mm. to a family of lower nobility. Uh, when she was a child, her parents entered her into the Marienbusch Abbey, one of the pre, this is a long word, premon, premontris, premontratensians, premontratensians, in Trepto Andariga, which is near the Baltic Sea, about 150 nor- miles north of Meseritz. This wasn't totally unusual. Um, if we think about families essentially just giving their kids over to right. monasteries. It was considered an act of piety to give your child to the religious life of a nun or a monk. Hmm. So this wasn't totally a weird thing at this time. This is the state of the church at this point in history, though. They they said an act like this could earn you merit and help settle your spiritual accounts for when you die, which means you would get less time in purgatory. Well, and also uh, generally when you sent a daughter to a convent, you sent a nice gift to the convent as well that would sort of substitute as a as a kind of dowry that you might have paid had she gotten married instead of becoming a nun. And the church really encouraged that kind of... So she wasn't a gift enough? <gasps> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to imagine my own face right now. <laughs> Uh, so Elizabeth took her vows at the Abbey when she was 15. That's young. That is... Yes. Mm. Yep. Her life there was probably pretty typical for Abbey life. Their first service of the day was at 2 a.m. Speaking of getting up for plane flights mm-hmm. that early. Um, except this was for worship service. And then they spent the rest of their day in prayer, work, and study. So this order put great emphasis on the paschal sufferings of Christ, and it was also known for working in the outside world, so she would have helped support the priests, taking care of vestments and pyramids, and they would also educate the daughters of the nobility. So they weren't just in the abbey all the time, 24-7. They were out in society doing things and and, and helping the priests and people. Like OG altar guild. Yeah, community for the community. Mm -hmm. But the the fact that they weren't completely cloistered, that was kind of uh, not the most common for convents right then, because people were so concerned about the preserving the virtue of these these women (laughs) that it was very often for them to say your job, the way you help the church is to stay behind these walls and pray for us Mm -hmm. and don't ever come out. So the fact that she was out and moving around, that's Mm -hmm. kind of nifty. Yeah. So obviously she didn't stay a nun. For the rest of her life, <laughs> God had some other plans in store for her. So at some point in her time at the Abbey and working with priests, she encountered none other than Johannes Bugenhagen. Bugenhagen! Which is my favorite Reformation name. And he was Luther's father confessor. He's come up before on a few I feel like you could do some great beatboxing with that yes. Bugenhagen, Bugenhagen. It's such a great name. Skitter. So he was actually the rector of the city school in Trepto. Um, so he actually was also from 
that same area. Bugenhagen was affectionately known as Pomeranus because of where he's from. Uh, oh, and he hmm. is best known for... Yes. Never mind. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it. I don't think that is what you think it is. Pomeranus. Yeah. Probably pronounced Pomeranus. Yeah. Pomeranus. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. He is, we have any teenage boys <laughs> listening out there? <laughs> he is best known for spreading Lutheranism in the region of Pomerania where Elizabeth was living. He was uh, more of a humanist than a theologian, hmm. and he was arguing for his own reforms in the church at the time. But he eventually read what Luther wanted to reform, and he accepted those ideals himself. So he ended up working really closely with Luther to spread Lutheranism in Pomerania and Denmark, and did quite a bit of work in Wittenberg as well. So he was the one who married Luther and Katharina von Bora as well, and he preached at Luther's funeral. So they were all very closely connected. At this point, he was preaching among the Primontrastensians. <laughs> man. Primontrastensians. Premonstratensians. Oh. There you go. Oh, there you and go. Elizabeth was one of those people who heard his preaching on Lutheranism. So these are like lots of Lutheran reformer people worlds kind of colliding all at once. So in 1521, Bugenhagen left Pomerania to go to Wittenberg because he wanted to be at the epicenter of the Reformation. He had learned more and more about the reforms that Luther was teaching. And so he became pastor of the city church in Wittenberg and served as Luther's preacher and confessor. Now, coincidentally, maybe it was because Bugenhagen went there or maybe other uh, reasons. We don't know exactly why, but Elizabeth also fled her convent in Pomerania and went to Wittenberg at that same time, uh, right around 1521. And Wittenberg is about 250 miles southwest of Treptow and Riga. So that would have been a really mm. long journey, yep. probably mm. on her own. And the Abbey was the only life she had ever known. So this would have been a, I mean, she was very dedicated to go to Wittenberg at this point because this would have been a lot of unknowns for her life. I feel like there's a great young adult novel yes. in this story. Like somebody out there just take this and run with it and, and tell <laughs> Elizabeth Krusiger's like travel story. Yes, that is a great so, idea. But we don't have, we don't know what motivated her. No. No. Okay. No. So we just know she did this. Yep. We don't know why. We don't know why. Okay. Likely it was because, I mean, she had heard Buchenhagen's preaching. It had probably the Holy Spirit did some work on her, mm -hmm. right? And she also wanted to be a part of this Lutheran Reformation. And this is, what, four years after uh, 95 Theses, right? So 1521. Okay. So That's she's four around years. 21 years old. Yeah. So... You know, she okay. would have wanted to be also, because Wittenberg was the epicenter, and people were kind of mm -hmm. all showing up there to be part of what was happening. Okay. So she must have known Bugenhagen fairly well also, because she ended up living with him and his family. We also know that Elizabeth isn't the only nun who shows up at Wittenberg at this time. I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> this Timeline was a thing. Question. Okay. Katharina, uh -huh. Katharina von Bora was also a nun who arrived in Wittenberg. I don't remember what year that was, though. But it was in, in a herring barrel. It was in, exactly. a, it was in a fish barrel. Um, but she also <laughs> showed up uh, um, with a few other nuns from Nimshin. So... Marriage was a great option for these women who were showing up. <laughs> Let's in... be honest. Marriage was 
close to the only option for these women. Exactly. They had tried the only only other option. Exactly. Decided against it. Right. So marriage was probably going to be what she ended up doing as her one of her main vocations. And that is exactly what happened. So in Wittenberg, she met Caspar Krusiger who was a student studying Hebrew under Philip Melanchthon, mm. and he was an assistant of Martin Luther. He was four years younger than Elizabeth, but of course, that doesn't really matter in this story. Casper was a brilliant theologian, and he was part of Luther's inner circle, who helped translate scripture, write treatises, and advised him. So he was a very important figure at this point in the Reformation. That kind of changes a little bit down the road. But anyway, Elizabeth would have already written her hymn at this point before their marriage. So she was likely on par with these theological minds, probably also a very brilliant person, especially if she and Casper were like attracted to each other. If he's this brilliant guy, I'm assuming she probably was too. Elizabeth and Caspar got married in 1524, and Martin Luther himself preached their wedding sermon. So this is a Lutheran of Lutherans wedding. Can you just imagine Martin Luther preaching your wedding? (laughs) It would be epic. Mm. Huh. I (laughs) can't. I don't think I'd want that for myself. It would be very interesting. It would, wouldn't it? Yes. Mm. Yes, it would. Mm. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. The wedding photos would be epic. They would. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Bugenhagen. So this is a little a little historical tidbit about their wedding. Bugenhagen had appealed to Frederick the Wise, who was prince of that territory, to get a special donation of enough venison <clears throat> so that Elizabeth and Caspar would have a great feast for their wedding. I just envisioned going on a major donor visit and being like... <laughs> Can I have 3,000 pounds of venison, please, for the Global Mission Fund? (laughs) Oh, brother. So they needed 10 large tables and plenty of venison to celebrate appropriately. Mm. And he wanted lots of guests for his Elizabeth for their wedding. So she was... She was apparently very special to him, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, her own family also had disavowed her, though, because of her conversion to Lutheranism. So none of her actual blood relatives would be at her wedding. Oh, so that was the other reason. Yeah. They wanted her to have like this big feast with her new Lutheran fam because her real fam wouldn't show up. More venison for the rest. Right. right? Fill up my plate, please. Yes. Mm. The Krusigers went to Magdeburg in 1525, where Casper was the rector of the school, along with Nicholas von Amsdorf, another Reformation dude, mm. uh, who was the pastoral leader of the Reformation in Magdeburg. I was just I don't looking. Remember him at all? Has he been? Has he previously showed up in stories? Not in has. any of my stories. No. Okay, I feel better. Now. I just looked at his book on CPH though, and I really want to read it now. <laughs> In okay. 1528, they returned to Wittenberg, where Caspar got a teaching position in the arts at the university there. So then Elizabeth joined the club of other reformer wives in Wittenberg. This is like the ultimate club of pastor's wives. <laughs> and she was active in the life of the center of the Reformation. And she got to be really good friends with Katharina von Bora Luther. So it's likely that these wives would have had their own conversations about theology of the day 
while their men were doing the famous table talks. On the next episode mm. of so, Reformation Wives. <laughs> this is like the original ladies' lounge. Real Housewives of Wittenberg. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. I love it. So Casper and Elizabeth had two kids, and they were super creative in naming them. They were Elizabeth and Casper. Okay. Mm. One for him and one for her. That's right. Mm -hmm. Casper the Younger also ended up on the theology faculty in Wittenberg and was actually one of those imprisoned in Wittenberg and then driven into exile as a crypto-Calvinist in 1574. Not a (laughs) crypto-Calvinist. Because of his views on the Lord's Supper. Whoops. And remember, this is what was finally resolved in the Formula of Concord in 1577. So, yay, Reformation! Okay, can you briefly just talk about that for a second? Crypto-Calvinism? Basically, when you are, you pretend to be Lutheran on the outside, but on the inside, you're secretly a Calvinist. Crypto, like hidden. Yes. So, like, what, but what what did the formula of Concord address in terms of crypto-Calvinism? That it's wrong. Yeah. It's a false teaching. Basically, and we do yes. not abide by Thank it. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> I can't see your face, which makes your commentary like five million times more hilarious. That it was wrong. <laughs> oh, brother. Crypto Calvinism is mentioned specifically in the Book of Concord, and okay. I did cover it on a previous Reformation podcast. I wasn't listening. But that was like at least a year ago. Okay. Side note. So I think I have the uh, the whole formula of Concord crypto Calvinist thing. Hey, let's hear so it. that the earlier Lutheran doctrines had not been perhaps as clear as they could have been mm-hmm. about the uh, question of the real presence in the Lord's Supper. Got it. And so there were some people who believed that. Well, it you know I can still be Lutheran and believe this. Mm-hmm. And so Oops. the formula of Concord really clarified that and said, actually, this is the Lutheran position. Yeah. And if you don't hold this position, let's talk. No mm. ambiguity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. TLDR. It Thank was you. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. And this is, this is the encouragement to go pull your book books of Concord off of your shelves and go read them. Also, um, side note, plug for CPH, the Book of Concord is now an audiobook. So go find it on your audiobook platform and listen to it. Anyway, Sarah will be back with us in about three months when she's listened to the entire thing. <laughs> Book club pick. Book yes! club pick. Yes. We do always try to get I'm audiobooks. I'm saying no to that one. <laughs> okay, so that was Casper the Younger, their son, And then Elizabeth, their daughter, married Martin Luther's oldest son, Johannes. Oh, snap. Which I think is adorable. Elizabeth, sadly, Elizabeth the mother. Martin Luther was related to a crypto... Crypto... Calvinist. Crypto... Crypto analyst. (laughs) (laughs) Bitcoin. Crypto Calvinist by marriage. Luther yep. coin. Oh, yes, he was. Wow. So, but Katie and Elizabeth were mothers in love. Oh, yep, they were. They were. Mm. I love it. I love That's it so awesome. much. This okay. is a great story, okay. guys. Keep going. Keep this going. Straight up sitcom action. Right. Sadly, Elizabeth died very young. 
Sorry to like totally down. Wait, are we talking that. Elizabeth the Elder? Or Elizabeth, Elizabeth the, the Elder okay. died very young at the age of thirty-five. Oh, yeah, on May second, fifteen thirty-five. We don't know any of the details surrounding her death, but considering the life that she led and the people she knew, it was probably a pretty epic Lutheran burial. Oh, yeah. I want oh, her funeral sermon. Probably would have been mm. great. Man, she had a great wedding sermon and a great funeral sermon. Probably. I hope they wrote heard Martin some pretty Luther great did her funeral sermon. It didn't say. I'm not sure. Hmm. Heard some pretty great sermons in her lifetime. Yes. Inscribed on the tombstone. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Caspar, her husband, the the elder, went on to join the theology faculty in Wittenberg in fifteen thirty six. And he was also later accused of holding false theological views. Oh, <laughs> So this actually plays into her story a little bit later, too. Um, He died in 1548, right before the intra-Lutheran disputes really heated up. So this is before Formula of Concord happened. So he was he kind of like had these false false beliefs, but died before he could really be accused of Hmm. a ton of it. (laughs) So Elizabeth wrote the hymn. The only son from heaven after her arrival in, in Wittenberg, likely before she was married. And she would have been hearing all of this glorious preaching from Luther and the other reformers. And she is the first woman poet of the Reformation. So she paved the way for all of these other Lutheran women hymn writers. She is the original, which is awesome. Mm. There's a very curious and unverified story of her having a dream that she was preaching publicly. Oh, And she told her husband, Casper, about it. And he said that maybe God would esteem her so worthy that the songs she sings at home would also be sung in the church. At this point in time, they probably sang a lot of things at home. That was probably part of their devotional life. And if she was a talented poet, she was probably writing a lot of these devotional home songs herself so Hmm. we don't know if this is true this legend only goes back to like 1638 ish it didn't actually originate from her life so who knows but it will show up if you read a story about her it's gonna show up because it's everywhere (laughs) and whether or not it's true her hymn is actually sung in churches well i mean we we talk about her story being sort of lost to history and Mm -hmm. yet you know as a writer myself i would much sooner see mm-hmm. something I've written be preserved than my own. I mean, my story is boring, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But if something I write is still blessing the church five hundred years from now, that's right? a win. That's a total mm-hmm. win. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no reason to believe that will actually be the case. But maybe neither did Elizabeth. That didn't stop her from taking what she heard in those sermons and writing poetry and i just wish we had some it's obvious nobody just writes one poem and right. calls it good right yeah. you know she wrote tons yeah. of other things mm-hmm. exactly. and i just feel some regret that they weren't all preserved but i'm so glad that this one yes was. don't yes. you sell yourself short rachel bomberger <laughs> <laughs> we will tell your seminal lutheran work 500 years from now <laughs> yeah. so it was actually luther himself who encouraged her to publish this hymn so in 1524, it appeared in the first evangelical hymnal, the Erfurter Enkurdian. It also appeared in the Magdeburg Enkurdian of 1536. They had also been in Magdeburg before this. The text is a beautiful confession of faith 
and the promises of God in this life and the life to come. It's the first Jesulit, which is a Christological hymn of the Reformation era. Christ is like smack dab in the middle of this entire hymn, Mm. very appropriately. Mm. This became particularly, particularly part of Lutheran Epiphany hymns, which is why it's now in the Epiphany section of our hymnal. This Christology was a huge part of Reformation theology, though, as we discussed in our book club, Spirituality of the Cross. Christology is a massive part of Lutheranism, so it wasn't just about the Epiphany for them. It was also about the person and work of Christ. Mm. The first stanza is also a very loose translation of another hymn that we sing, the Christmas Latin office hymn, Coordinatus Ex Parentis. Of the Father's Love Begotten! Exactly! Yes, oh, so if you read the text of that Other was Fathers... That wedding hymn, you guys. Oh. <laughs> Christmas wedding. Oh, of course. Of course. So if you read the first uh, the first line of, the first verse of of the Father's Love Begotten and the first verse of the Only Son from Heaven, you, you can tell mm. that they are actually very similar, mm-hmm. which I did not know this. Uh, the first two stanzas of her hymn are the subjective explanation of Christ and who he is, and the rest of the stanzas are our response to his work. So the text we have in Lutheran Service Book was translated by Anglican priest Arthur Russell, not Catherine Winkworth. Every time I do one of these, I'm like, please, Catherine Winkworth, but not this one. Arthur yes. Russell in 1850 for stanzas one through three. So we don't actually have her original fourth stanza. So this... Do you want me to read you the text? Yes. Okay. The only son from heaven foretold by ancient seers, by God the Father given in human form appears. No sphere his light confining, no star so brightly shining as he our morning star. O time of God appointed, O bright and holy morn, he comes the king anointed, the Christ the virgin born. Grim death to vanquish for us, to open heaven before us and bring us life again. O Lord, our hearts awaken to know and love you more, in faith to stand unshaken, in spirit to adore, that we, through this world moving, each glimpse of heaven proving, may reap its fullness there. O Father, here before you, with God the Holy Ghost, and Jesus, we adore you, O pride of angel host. Before you, mortals lowly, cry, holy, 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 O blessed Trinity. It's so good. Mm. So Arthur Russell did not include Elizabeth stanzas four and five in his translation into English, which means that we don't have them in our English hymnals, which is kind of sad. But we it's do not too late. It's not too late Mm-mm. for the next hymnal, our hymnal companion. That'll come out eventually. Right? Any German-speaking <laughs> ladies out there want to take a stab at translating? Yeah. It? We do have a doxological stanza, which is a great doxological stanza, mm-hmm. and I love singing that last line. Before you mortals lowly cry, holy, holy, holy. So her original fourth stanza translates to, Kill us with your kindness, awaken us through your mercy, make the old man weak so that the new might live, and here on this earth direct my mind and thoughts and every desire to you. Obviously not the poetic, but like a literal translation. Calling Catherine Winkworth, I bet she could do better. Yeah, right. Like, that's true. As we talked about, him translating is more than just... Literal, actual, yeah. I love killing people with kindness, it, though. To... If you want me to be completely honest, <laughs> and that is the same trans. I looked at at a couple different places, and that's the same like literal translation in a couple mm-hmm. different places. So mm-hmm. that with is the what old it means. Man's weak. <laughs> mm. The doxological stanza is great in its own right, so it can't be 
too mad about How this. How can you be mad at a doxological stanza? You can't. Like you can. You can't. Um, and actually, the full text is in Walther's hymnal, oh. which you can get from Concordia Publishing House. So if you really want to sing the entire original hymn from Elizabeth Krusiker, you can go get Walther's hymnal, which you should just have anyway, and <laughs> sing it from there. In German? I th- believe it's in English. Okay. So somebody translated. Somebody, somebody translated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The tune is likely a folk tune, probably a love song folk tune. And I love when we get hymns from like random folk tunes. It's great. But it's not exactly like the folk tune that it's likely modeled off of. J.S. Bach loved this tune, though. And he uses it for cantatas 96 and 164, for a chorale prelude in the Orgelbuchlein, and for several settings, or for a setting in several preludes. So you're going to hear this tune from Bach if you're a Bach fan and listen to him. You're going to hear it all over the place. Yep. It is also the hymn of the day for Epiphany 2, so we get to sing it every year. Every year. Which is awesome. Totally on board but with that. I'm going to say it's such a beautiful expression of Christology mm-hmm. that there's no reason you have to relegate this Limit. to Epiphany only. No. Like, it's a year-round mm-hmm. hymn. Sing it all year. So she was very much in the theology of the cross, as we also confess to be. At that time, like we've talked about before in, I don't know, well, the Reformation hymn thing for sure from a couple weeks ago, this was a really rich time for Lutheran hymn writing. Lutheran hymn writing was a new thing at this point. And so Luther wanted more rich doctrinal hymns to be used for worship because up to this point, the only church music was Latin liturgical songs sung by the clergy. So he actually put a call out for these really good theological hymns. And obviously this spread to the Krusiger house. They were like besties. So of course they knew about it. Elizabeth likely sang her own hymns in the home because that was customary. But this was the only one that was written down for publication. And I am very thankful that we still have it 500 years later. Mm -hmm. This hymn also had some fame in the British Isles because Miles Coverdale who was an Englishman sympathetic to the Reformation, published his own translation in 1535 in a German evangelical hymn book called Goostly Psalms and Spiritual Songs. Goostly? And this is great because English in 1535 was not like English we have today. So that is spelled G-O-O-S-T-L-Y. Goostly? Ghostly. Ghostly? It's wonderful. Like in the that's right in the middle of the Great Vowel Shift. Like mm. you don't even know how to say you things. You ain't even no. Great vowel shift. Goose. My Goose. vowels are <laughs> shifting. <laughs> you get all these extra E's too. It's amazing. Songes. Do you need to take something for that, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> She said vowel shift. Vowel. Vowel vowel with a V. Get your voiced consonants there. (laughs) Fricatives. The hymnal, Gustly Psalms and Spiritual with two L's, songs with an ES at the end, was condemned in 1546 at the end of the reign of King Henry VIII, while Coverdale was in exile in Germany. But... It also ended up appearing in a Scottish dialect translation in 1565 in John Wedderburn's An Compendious Book of Goodly Psalms and Spiritual Sangus. I probably need to say that with a Scottish accent yes. for it to be appropriate, but I also I don't want to embarrass myself. Yeah. <laughs> 
Imagine. Ain no. compendious buick. That does not sound Scottish at all. You do it. Yeah, you do <laughs> it. But I'm saying that doesn't sound Scottish. <laughs> this is this is 1565 Scottish dialect. So that's oh, true. Okay, never mind. That, that's Language then. was very different in the 16th century. Here, mm-hmm. Anyway. Here's the fun part of all of this, though. We love for him today... But she was practically lost to history for a long time. In the 1500s, her life and him were taken as evidence that the Holy Spirit was at work in the church. And in the late 1500s and into the 1600s, her authorship was actually starting to be doubted. And they attributed the hymn to Andreas Nupkin, the reformer of They Riga. didn't. Yes, they did. Oh. Mm. Yep. They were like, mm, Elizabeth couldn't have written it. It must be this dude. Hmm. The audacity of these people. Right? So there's probably, it wasn't just like this random thing that happened. There were probably, uh, well, there are a couple of reasons that this could have happened. So Orthodox Lutherans were suspicious of her husband and son for not being quote unquote real Lutherans. So, oh, so it wasn't that she was a woman. It was that she was married to a suspected (laughs) crypto-Calvinist. Two strikes. So it probably put this into doubt that like, oh, well, her husband and son weren't Lutheran, so maybe she couldn't have written this. Okay, ladies, show of hands if you and your husband believe exactly the same thing about everything. (laughs) Right. I see no hands. None none hands. I'm seeing none hands. (laughs) It is possible that it was because she was a woman. And we've, I mean, we've covered that ad nauseum for Hmm. that a lot of people probably thought that a young woman couldn't have written such a sophisticated hymn. That is a likely explanation. Also, and this was part of a cultural history of this time that I had to research a little bit more, it could have been because of the rampant apocalyptic and eschatological thinking in Lutheran circles at this time. I was not aware of this. Mm. Apparently, many people thought that the world was going to end in the 17th century, and a sign of the end times was that the Holy Spirit was being given to women. Elizabeth was used as a prime example that this was happening because they saw it as a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, which says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants of those days, I will pour out my spirit. So this is the most historically, culturally relevant reason why why her authorship was kind of like, nah, not so sure. Women were given more leeway to have more spiritual gifts because they thought the end times were happening. But when they realized that the end times were not happening, they were like, oh, wait, maybe women can't actually do things of the spirit. Y'all should see so. my face right now. <laughs> So it's okay to have the Holy Spirit if you're a woman, but only if it's the end of the world. That is what people were thinking. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Interesting. So that that was also a a very likely reason why her authorship was doubted and why Nupkin was attributed. Her authorship wasn't restored until the 1800s. So this is over 200 years that people were like, nope, she didn't do it. When scholars unearthed the source of the error, and they rightly restored Elizabeth as the author of this hymn. Go, and, scholars. Yeah. Just do your thing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your service. <laughs> and yet today, many authoritative sources on the people of the Reformation have no mention of Elizabeth. Oxford's Encyclopedia of the Reformation doesn't list her at all, even in her husband's entry. And I went and looked this up, and that's true. So, 
maybe with this podcast and with all of y'all now knowing about Elizabeth Kruseger and her legacy, we can bring it back. How would you attribute this podcast episode in a scholarly work, I wonder? I have no idea. I feel like it could be done. It could be done. Citationmachine.net, take me away. <laughs> I have I have a list, a bibliography of like 10 mm. sources I can put on I mean, here. <laughs> my Chicago Manual of Style is ridiculously mm. detailed in the amount of... Comprehensive. Of, yes. There yeah. are... If you have a source, it can, can be cited. cited. Yes. Not an anonymous... Well, I guess you could... Yes, it can. Okay. Ha-ha. Awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, for one, am very thankful that these scholars restored her as the author of this hymn. And I am also mm-hmm. very thankful that Elizabeth heard the gospel during the Reformation from Johannes Bugenhagen mm. and was pulled into this rich theology of Lutheranism so that she was able to write this beautiful text that we sing today. Happy Reformation. Happy Reformation. You know, we were studying in Bible study recently in the story in Mark where the woman poor anointed Jesus mm-hmm. feet mm-hmm. with perfume and that beautiful story and how Mark said that this story will be told. Yes. Mm-hmm. We don't know her name in this case, mm-hmm. but the story is told. And so even though Elizabeth, her name was lost to history for a little while, her song was not. Yeah. And it's yep. it's remembered and it's, it's beautiful when I those think- sort of things get preserved because of their value. Yes. The words uh, may have been, this will be remembered of her. Mm. I love it. And yeah, the this this hymn is remembered of Elizabeth Kruseger. And when you say that we don't know a lot about her, and it's true, I guess. But if I read her hymn, I know everything I need to know about her. Mm-hmm. I know that she totally got who Jesus was mm-hmm. and what he did for her and that she is my sister in Christ. Yes. That she has a beautiful soul mm-hmm. and a creative mind and a, a keen intellect. I mean, you can get that just and reading deeper. I mean, as a, as a literary person, I could spend an hour with this poem and probably write a 10 page paper on things that I'd learned about Elizabeth from this. I'm not going to, but I could if I wanted to, because there's so much of her evident in her poetry. Mm -hmm. And yeah, everything I need to know about my dear sister in Christ, Elizabeth Krusiger, I think I see right here in the hymn. And just that last, well, the last stanza we have, O Lord, our hearts awaken to know and love you more. In faith to stand unshaken, in spirit to adore. I mean, it's just beautiful. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies, happy Reformation. I hope you have a wonderful Reformation. Maybe you can read some more stories of people of the Reformation with your kiddos or family or whatever this weekend as we're celebrating the Reformation and because... Shouldn't we all? And you should absolutely go back, and if you haven't heard them, and listen to our previous Reformation podcast episodes. Women mm. of the Reformation, mm-hmm. uh, Ursula von Grum... No, Argula. Argula von Grumbach. Grumbach. Yes. Argula. We've got... <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've got episodes on Martin Luther's hymns. What else mm-hmm. we have floating out there? Mm-hmm. I feel like we've got... Anna of Denmark is in there. She's not, like, really... Yes, there is... There's mm. a... There's a trivia, yeah. Trivia? The was. first trivia quiz that was the women of the Reformation. Was women of the Reformation? Oh, yeah. okay. So we yeah. love us some Reformation, mm-hmm. and yes, 
There will be more and more hours of this sort of stuff to come. Yeah, every time I research somebody, I'm like, ooh, there's more content for another podcast. <laughs> yes, I will write this down. There is so much history, guys. It's amazing. Okay, so you can find all of those podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app, of course. You can join our group on Facebook to talk more about our favorite Lutheran ladies and all the rest of the topics that Lutheran ladies like to talk about. Join our group there, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Facebook. You can also follow us on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Have we recently put in a plug for the Facebook page for everybody? We have not. We Mm. have not. No. So obviously the Lutheran Ladies Lounge is a ladies space Mm -hmm. in our, our Facebook discussion group, but... The Friends of the Lutheran Ladies Lounge page. Yes. Because you know dudes listen to us. They <laughs> do. I know of at least two. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have, uh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're married to a couple of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is true. But yes, anyone can join the Friends of the Lutheran Ladies Lounge uh, page on Facebook. So come find us there too. Yes, you can do that. We're all over social. You are listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm feeling goostly. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Rachel. (laughs) Happy Reformation!
Trinity. I what? First three verses are great. Yeah. <laughs> the last one was fun too. It was fun. Oh my goodness, you guys! I miss singing hymns and hymns in harmony. Yes. <sighs> Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge.